It's Friday, November 4th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle. It's episode 276. How's it going, y'all? It's going well. How are you? And happy birthday to uh, Papa Bewley, which is yeah, man, as well. But you know what I mean. Your dad. Yeah. My dad's birthday today, and it's my uh, mother-in-law's birthday tomorrow. She turns 70, having a big party Whoa. there. Yeah, there good for go. her. And also, today marks 20 years since my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, we're a thing now, right? Like, <laughs> this is the thing, you and me? 20 years ago today. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah we, were, we were freshmen in college, 18 years old, didn't know didn't know anything, just, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, <sighs> and then life punched us in the face like 50 times and we're together. You're, you're old. Yeah, man. I am old. Pushing forty, dude. Old Billy. Yeah, just write me off. It's over, man. It's over. Two good yeah. years left. Yeah, you know, <laughs> two good years <laughs> left, and then it's time for me to just go to the old folks' home. All right. Um, let me see here. Let me see if I can pull this thing up. This blew my mind. Researchers devise smart glass windows that can polarize sunlight for wireless data transmission. Have you seen this yet? I have not. No. So it's crazy. The The concept is sunlight hits a window. I'm going to drop it in the chat here for you in TBP chat. Y'all go ahead and join t.me slash tech breakfast. And you can see all these fun links that we're sharing. But apparently sunlight hits a window, which they're calling a sunlight modulator. It then turns the light that's coming through it into a data transfer engine capability, whatever. So far, they've been able to achieve 16 kbps kilobits per second. Now, dial-up was a little bit faster than that, but they think that this can be used for IoT, home automation, stuff like that, where they can leverage sunlight coming in through the window and then be received by photon detectors with polarizers that are understanding the data along that indoor, what they're calling the indoor optical channel. Was that not nuts? This is blowing my mind quite a bit. Um, (laughs) Yes. We need Tyler. This is a we do. This is a, yeah. a math problem yeah, here that, that only he can solve. Yeah. So this is definitely un- a Tyler topic. Yeah. Unpolarized light comes in. There's a polarizer which is going to force light into a certain wavelength, right? Then there's a glass substrate, a liquid crystal layer, another glass substrate, and then another polarizer. Somehow they're injecting that light with data, so that way it can be broadcasted and transferred throughout the house and then picked up by random IOT devices. You know, what this kind of reminds me a little bit of is that the funny aspect in the way, like when 5G was coming out and everyone got super upset and they said it was going to cause all these problems, not realizing that the way these spectrums work are that we take advantage of things that are already in the airwaves. Like we didn't invent like something to send radio over. It was already there. We found a way to leverage it. Mm. And just people don't realize that, I guess, it, just in general with the way the elements in the world work. Sunlight is just another one of those things. I mean, I would have never thought of doing this, but like, yeah, I guess that's what they're doing here is they're finding a way to just leverage something else that basically exists, you know, in the air and yeah. allows it to, to, to move, which is fascinating. I, you know, well, this- I, I, I'm sitting here trying to think of use cases. I don't. I don't immediately know like the best thing uh, outside of IoT that you mentioned that where this makes sense. Other than it seems like a really good option for like emergency use, you know, hmm. um, in the event no other form of communication was functioning due to whatever, and then yeah. it's like can't turn off the sun. So for at least a certain amount of time during the day, you have something to transport messages. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, it's wild. Much- this, well, here the we'll, natural. We'll, we'll, well, yeah, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Well, I was just going to give you a little bit more info. Uh, this guy, Basim Shah, uh, Shihada, an associate professor of computer science at the King Abdullah University of Sciences and Technology, he's been exploring data encoding into artificial light source light sources, trying to figure that out. And he's like, you know what? I wonder if we can just do it with the sun, right? And then they did it. <laughs> exploring sunlight as an information carrier uh, carrier they're like what do we have to do we just have to basically put something in between to accept the light and so why not just use windows right is the idea uh, sure it's just bonkers sorry go ahead Zip. 
So this this won't work with Mac. You're saying it's Windows only. Correct, Windows only. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that makes no, the sense. only thing I was going to say is it, it makes me wonder, like, you know, okay, this is this is great, obviously during daylight, but what happens at night? You know, when it just stops functioning. Um, even for IoT devices, I see you know obvious some obvious downsides to that. Um, but I, I agree, Russ. I think the only thing that I can think of there is maybe some sort of like emergency use during the day. Um, it also makes me wonder, like, what what type of offline scenarios could you have? You know, if you were uh, leveraging uh, something, you know, maybe off grid out in the woods or something like that, and you were getting mm. daylight through. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's there's some interesting potential use cases down the road, but I'm not sure if we're there yet. Yeah, especially because of the speed, right? We like in our yeah. jobs, we generally refer either, you know, jokingly or very seriously about the speed of light. And uh, yeah, sorry. Well, here's the question going down the like, you know, well, here's the question. No, you're mm-hmm. right. You're, you're onto something here because that is a lot of what the limitations are that that we deal with in our industry. I'm wondering why in the world isn't this thing moving faster? Um, like, why aren't we able to transmit more data? Yeah. Maybe it's just a volume issue. Um, you know, I don't know. I think it's fascinating. I, I don't know. This will be something that'll be very curious to see what else comes from it. Cause usually obscure yeah. technologies, they don't get an application for a while. And oftentimes the application isn't what the original plan for the application might be, but I'm, I'm very curious mm-hmm. to see what it come from. It's very cool. I'm glad we have people like this. They're both intelligent enough and curious enough to go yeah. try and do things like that. So it's very cool. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, just for them to dream it up and then be like, yep, cool. We did it. We're up yeah. to 16 kilobits per second, which means it's possible, right? I mean, that's not with- far from dial up in my house yeah. growing up. I mean, that exactly. I, I basically, I didn't even get like a full 28.8. I was like a 26.4 on my connection yeah. at the house. I couldn't get, I couldn't get 56K all the way up to the full amount. Like it just, it was a very poor connection growing up. And then, I, and then some, I don't know, I guess our home growing up was just a black box. In addition to that, once cell phones, you know, started to become a more common thing uh, and I ended up getting one, there's no way to get cell phone reception at our house either. So it was yeah. just, it was just non- it's yeah. not possible at the time. Starlink, Zook, Starlink would have been incredible back in the day. Yeah, Zook brings up a good point, but I mean, I guess ultimately, you know, you could get you could get solar panels on top of your house that could then power some like. Well, I guess if you had a n- nuclear reactor that was producing light or something, nuclear fusion, you wouldn't need the solar, all just to push data across light through your window. I'm just kidding. All right, let's move on. Can, just, well, can I, I ask know, a different question? I'm curious. Yeah, my power just went out. Do do either of you, when your power goes out, every single time it goes out, do you consider the idea of solar panels and batteries, or is that yes. just me? Is that a uniquely Rust thing? Yeah, every time. Every time. I yeah. can't. I can't. Batteries for thought. sure. Batteries for sure. I I would love the idea of solar, but unfortunately, my local municipality uh, does not allow us to put up solar panels in our community at this point in time. Uh, but I, yeah, I have various UPSs stationed around the house for, you know, what I consider mission critical things. Of course, they only last, you know, a finite period of time before they end up depleting sure. and, you know, I'm still out of power, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I would love to have something that is far more sustainable and, you know, dependent upon, um, something that is being generated here on my own property versus having to depend on the grid. Um, there's some really unique, uh, you know, YouTube channels and otherwise where people are completely off grid and, and it's just interesting to watch how they do it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, there, I've even seen, you know, I mean, of course, if you, if you look at all of the things that you can do, you know, you need utilities, right? Power, air, water, all that stuff. There's even ways to get water, collected and, and fed into your house independently as well, which I'm sure on these channels also, I mean, I, I've got to assume uh, well, right? there's tanks. Talking about a well? the, no, I'm talking like even devices where you can like get water out of like, put it, put it in your backyard. And if you happen to be in a place that has a lot of rain, it can collect, clean the water, make it drinkable, oh, stuff like that. I got you. That's a, yep. yeah, like a, a very distinct thing. I think those are fascinating. Yeah. Um, 
you yeah. know, just I mean, a lot of people I collect. I don't know if it works for everyone. Why wouldn't you just store yeah, extra water, water from the city instead of rainwater and trying to filter it? Just store extra water from the city. And then if you lose water from the city, then have a pump and just pump it into your house. That doesn't seem very off grid to me. Does it to use it? Oh, is that what you're trying to? Okay. Sorry. Is that what you're trying to say? Like fully. Well, that's what he was saying on, on like, people oh, are like following. completely. Yeah. Fully, Sorry, I was drifting. Yeah, fully yeah. disconnected. Fully disconnected, I think, has obvious benefits. You know, if you're not dependent upon any of that, you know, then then you don't have to pay the bills. You don't have to do a lot of the things that, you know, I, I think we traditionally take for granted. At the same time, though, you know, there are other major issues with it. You know, if you live in a, um, you know, you live in a climate that is very dry, doesn't get a whole lot of rain, you know, collecting your own rainwater for drinking water for things as simple as even flushing your toilet or washing dishes or your clothes that's going to be a big challenge. Um, but there are people out there that are doing it. And, uh, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of YouTube channels where it's just really fascinating to kind of see what they're doing, um, to ultimately solve that particular challenge. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I just say dig a well, if you can. <laughs> you, well, you All certainly right. could dig a well. Um, let's get into some other things. Y'all got some stuff. I think Zuck does. Nope. Zook, do you have, have some issues? Okay, no, no, no big um, deal. So here's one thing. Although I, I do, like... I do want your opinion. Oh, you got something? Go ahead. My audio must be terribly delayed today. Um, no, I, I, I actually was just going to follow up on you know. So prior to the call, you had some power issues, and we were, Billy and I were kind of laughing about the the uh, the Windows PC and things depending upon it. But I was driving home the other night with my son from school. And, uh, you know, he brought up the fact that uh, in, in school right now, they're actually teaching uh, kids in, in, you know, in, in classrooms how to use a Windows PC. And this just seems like a foreign concept to me. Um, but like they're actually teaching them how to use Windows for the first time because these kids are so accustomed to leveraging iOS devices or leveraging Chromebooks that a Windows PC is a foreign concept. And, you know, and so he asked me, that he's is, like, you know, he's like, that is interesting. what are the use cases that I would have dad for, you know, utilizing a Windows PC? And I'm like, well, man, if, if you're really into gaming the way you say you are, like, that's kind of a big deal for you. Like, you, you need to understand Windows so that you can, you know, get into the gaming world if that's something that you decide to do. Um, but it just it, it was just it was a very strange conversation and something that obviously I think we take for granted. Um, but, you know, kids, especially in this generation. Um, and just the rise of Chromebooks within schools and certainly, obviously, iOS devices, you know, leveraging iPads and iPhones and things like that, um, leveraging leveraging just something as simple as Microsoft Windows, which we have all kind of grown up on, uh, is definitely a foreign concept these days. And I just wanted to get thoughts and see if you guys have experienced similar things with your kids. My kids aren't old enough, but I have thought it was I've, I've for a long time kind of thought that eventually Chromebooks were going to rule the world. Um just because of what you're describing every kid so in, in prosper where i live in first grade you get a chromebook in second grade and beyond you're allowed to take the chromebook home and uh i saw a girl she was my daughter goes to like a gymnastics class on mondays after after school and i was sitting there watching her on the monitor and i looked over to my right and uh there was a girl who was basically using uh, something similar to like a vs code um it, it it had a lot of visual representation of being able to basically work through application programming functional thinking types of things it was a learning program and she must have been i don't know seven or eight years old and she was flying through this thing. And I had happened to be speaking to her mother just about the facility we were in in general. And I looked over and I just asked, I said, hey, is that is that a school issued device? And she said, yeah, it is. And she told me about the whole first grade and second grade thing and when it, when how the delineation starts. And she goes, yeah, she doesn't want to do gymnastics. We've tried to get her to do it, but she she's working on, this is for her coding class. And I was fascinated by it. Um, That's awesome. You know, sitting there and watching it go through, watch, and she was, she did not need help. Like she was flying through this thing. I was thoroughly impressed by it. I was also impressed by the fact that this wasn't a web app. Um, I don't know how it was running. Oh, she was in some the, sort of um, terminal. It, it wasn't a terminal. Um, it might've been an Android app. 
Um, hmm. Or maybe, I don't know how they did it, but it wasn't yeah. like in a, or it could have been a PWA. That actually, that could have been it. It could have been a pro- progressive web app because it wasn't sitting in like a proper browser, but it could, so it could have been a PWA or an Android app, but I was, I was impressed. And, uh, you know, just, I thought, I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. And she goes, yeah, but screen time. And I was like, I understand, but I do think that it's important that your kids are learning this functional line of thinking, even if they don't go become people who build things with code, they are going to interact with programs to build things, especially when she's older. And I just thought to myself, this is a really great thing. Um, And I don't really care if people learn how to use a specific operating system, whether that's Windows or Linux or Mac OS. However, and I've pointed this out on the show before, when I saw some article maybe a year ago that the average 20-year-old doesn't know how to navigate to find a file in a file folder on a desktop computer, I started to panic a little bit. I remember Um, that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So that I have a problem with, a serious problem with, actually. Um, But but as far as like learning Windows, it's just funny that it has to happen, but I'm not surprised just because I know, you know, I I have a Chrome OS device. I don't really ever use it, but I have, and I've bought one for my mom and it's very different, you know, than Windows. Just, it just is very different. Yeah. We don't have those classes um, to my knowledge at this point yet. I mean, my oldest is in eighth grade, so I figured she would have had something like that. Um, The thing I'm most curious or would be interested in or concerned about would be one keyboarding, understanding how to just type very fast and and just feel the keyboard and home keys, all that fun stuff. And then coding, understanding, just getting exposure to what it is in the various languages and why you might use them. Those I think would be the top two just from a schooling perspective. But when you talk about specific operating systems, I mean, my kids are just exposed to it just because we have all the different OSs that you could really think right. about around here. I mean, they're, they're not doing anything on, on any, you know, Linux, um, you know, derivatives or whatever, but uh, absolutely they're on MacBooks and absolutely they're on Windows um, and absolutely yeah, my, they're on, on iOS and um, they're my on kids will Android. be exposed to all of them for yeah, sure. They're on Android and iOS, you know, and Mac OS and Windows, right? Like the, those are going to be yeah. the top four. So yeah, Chrome OS, oh, yeah. Chrome then, OS obviously well, is being really big in schools. Yeah. And then, you know, here at home, I mean, my kids are exposed, obviously, to Mac OS and uh, iOS, iPad OS and, and those types of things. But circling back to on the gaming piece, Russ, I, I actually saw an article um, just now. I was doing some research on it and it looks like um, Valve um, and Google have been working together um, for people who want to play PC games on Chromebooks. And so they actually um, have released, I guess, I don't know, recently or earlier this year, um, but they've they've now brought out a uh, Steam on Chromebook beta um, that has yeah. more games and, and additional device support as well. So, um, you know, maybe maybe gaming won't be mostly exclusive to Windows for the long term, but I would certainly think, you know, graphics cards and otherwise there's going to be some additional challenges for the Chromebook ecosystem there, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I'm heavily involved in in that side and I've I've had experience with gaming on on literally every platform. Um name a platform, I've had some exposure to it for gaming and uh and and with Steam on every platform that it can be ran on up until this point. I have actually even had versions of Steam running in Chrome OS um before. And I remember when they announced that a while back and a lot of people were wondering what it was for. Well, there's one thing that about 10, 12 years ago, um, Steam enabled the ability to remotely access your or a gaming PC, like one of yours that you might own, and play games over your local network or even over the WAN if you were insane. It was it was awful. It wasn't even good on the local network. They even released a dedicated device for it for the original Steam OS release. Uh, I've tried all those things and it was it was all well and good. And I think that there's a lot of that that's going down. What I've learned over the the years depending on how you define gaming, because I mean, there's a lot of gamers who never get off of their iOS or Android device. Like they just play mobile games. Um, There's also uh, different tiers of gaming, like people who are very casual in what they do and they just sort of want access to various things. Then you have certain gamers 
who want access to every type of game, but they just want access to be able to play them. And then you have people that are kind of like me who are like a very specific type of gamer, like one who's going to play very specific competitive titles. They're going to have specific needs around performance, feel of the game, visual representation. And much like when a uh, customer moves, like they say to myself, they're like, hey, I want to move away from VMware, right? Something that might hit close to home to the two of you. The problems with moving away from VMware have nothing to do with the hypervisor. They have everything to do with the ecosystem around it. And so while the other hypervisor can run a workload, what if you want to back something up and not put a physical agent on it? There's a problem. You, you may not have API access to that browser for your data protection product. When gaming is kind of the same way, because I think Mac OS with the new silicone has the potential to be able to get a lot of Mac people to play games, which I think would be good for expanding gamers. The problem for like the competitive side of what I do is does it integrate hardware wise into the monitor to do variable refresh rate connections as well as lower latency input for the mouse, full controls of mouse behavior. Like one of my main issues I've had with my Mac OS, or I'm sorry, with my Mac mini, which obviously runs Mac OS, is like I was trying to get rid of mouse acceleration because it's the worst thing that's ever existed in human history. <laughs> and so it should yes. be eradicated. And <laughs> when so I first learned about that, I was like, what? Oh my gosh, it's the worst thing ever. And so I, I tried to find a setting for it. it. There wasn't one. There's a mouse like sensitivity one. So I tried to find a, uh, you know, like a command line code and I found one and the guy was like, hey, here's command line to do this. But just so you know, you probably don't actually understand the sensitivity curve. The sensitivity curve in macOS is an acceleration setting. So what you need to do is, is just take that, you know, slider bar, slide it all the way to the left. And I was like, Huh. Holy crap. Thank God. So I went and I did that. Is, I and Windows is left. linear? Windows, you just turn it on or off. Um, right. Okay. There's, but there's but default, is, there's no acceleration. I don't know. I'm like throwing my mouse no, around the screen. Default in Windows, there will be mouse acceleration. You you, you have to explicitly turn it off. Um, oh, there's okay. also another setting that is relevant for gamers, which affects the curve. And so you always want to put it on six because it's like five on each side on an 11 point curve. But that's, once again, very, very specific things for a gamer. And that has some Windows properties to it. That stuff's implement. You can, you can change the implementations there. And that's an easy fix if it ever became popular on other platforms. Even on Linux, half the distributions, you can disable mouse acceleration easily, and half of them you can't. But when I did that, my mouse then, when I was sitting there trying to drag files across, my mouse pad is the size of Aaron, who, what are you, 6'3"? Like my <laughs> yeah. my mouse pad is you in mouse pad form. And I and I didn't have enough room to move my cursor around my monitor because it was so that it lacked sensitivity. I then luckily, you know, <laughs> I have a like mouse me. that has like 850 DPI settings. So I moved it to like 3600 DPI, no joke, which is insane. Your average mouse is like 400 to give you an idea. And and then I could functionally use the mouse again. So it's like there's stuff like that for the gamer side that go beyond just do you is the game able to run natively and effectively on the platform, the ecosystem around it of peripherals and integration with specific monitors and different settings. That's where like, you know, when the kids are like, oh, I want to be a streamer, they're going to need to be on Windows, on a custom gaming PC with all of these specific things. Like when my nephew comes over who... His, you know, he he loves all these Fortnite and Warzone streamers and stuff. He's like, "Whoa, you have all the same stuff they do." I'm like, "Yeah," because that's like a minimum requirement to exist in this world. So, you know, it's just uh, it's an interesting thing. I even when my boss was buying his son a gaming PC, he I actually had to I had to like guilt him into this. I was like, "Hey, man, you can afford this. You're going to buy all of these things. You're going to stop telling me you have a thousand dollar budget. It's not going to work. And it's not just going to be the PC. <laughs> That's the monitor you got to buy all of this other yeah. stuff. The monitor budget is a thousand. Sure. Absolutely. That's yeah. not a problem. That's what I'm but yeah, but the, but yeah, the rest of it is. And so he, he did get it. And his, his 18 year old son, he texted me and he was like, thank God you talked him into all of this. It was pretty funny. So yeah, that's, that's the stuff that like, whenever kids say they want to get into gaming, they have no idea what it takes 
to really do it at even a relatively competitive level. But I, that's why it's important to understand that there's so many different levels to gamers. And I think that mobile opened that up to a million people because there's so many people who say, I'm not a gamer, but they have games installed on their phone. You know, whereas I'm yeah. a person who doesn't have any games installed on their phone, but I'm a huge gamer. You know what I mean? So there's just the different levels are good. And I think that'll you know open up to Chromebooks and there'll be some indie titles that will run well because Steam can make the translation calls just like they do for Steam Deck. And it'll work really well on Chrome OS, which is based off of a Linux kernel like that all work really well. The question then becomes kind of like Zook said. Are they going to get 3090 TIs running right. Chrome OS? Right. You know, and right. stuff like that, which you can install Chrome OS now on third party stuff, like what? as far as like as you, you say can just this, download it and install it. As you say yeah. all this, I'm realizing that what's driving the operating system education for my kids is the gaming on the different platforms, whether it's for the sure. Switch or or it's the Amazon, you know, Fire Kindle thing, or whether they're playing Steam or Epic on my system. Um, yep. you know, it's, or on iOS, right. It's really what it is. It's and, the gaming and that type of stuff. I mean, that's what got me involved into it. I didn't care about anything related to computers until games. Yeah. Someone's going to find some form of interactive media or specialized media. I'll say just because there is a specialized form of media that exists in human history. That's been responsible for a lot of technological adoption. I won't say it out loud, but in general, the interactive media piece will determine a significant amount of like what people choose to do and learn. I actually think that's a major reason why Zook is going to spend $25 billion a year trying to make VR happen. Personally. Mm. Yeah, so, dude. You know, he's already he's spent spent close learn. To 20. Yeah. He has spent close to 20 billion already this year. He this does 4 billion a quarter. So 16 yeah. billion this year. And he says he's going to increase it significantly over the coming years. By the way, I had so many people telling me he's talking about like, you know, Facebook stock is down and all of this. And so I went and looked at like their earnings report. If you take if you take their stock, their stocks down and you go look at their spending on uh and you go look at their spending on whatever it is, the metaverse stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Their net profit was five billion dollars this year after all uh -huh. of that. Or not this year. Sorry, like that quarter. And it is so, wild, though. Their stock is down I mean, to 2015 levels. It is. And yet well, they're still printing cash. What, yeah. I, what is another fascinating thing? This actually kind of made me smile a little bit because, as you all know, I hate TikTok. Um, TikTok isn't really doing anything to make money right now. It's also not its purpose because its purpose is to rule the world. But that's a different conversation. What's uh, the Mark's company, Meta? They made more money from the business transactions for WhatsApp than Meta made for, or I'm sorry, than TikTok has made in its entirety. They did that like in this quarter. And so just to give you an idea of like the difference in scale, like, I mean, yeah. but you, people make like fun of Mark all they want funded. and he brings it on himself. Yeah. But we're talking well, about like it, Huawei. Technically, Huawei is buying technically networking deals in Brazil, you know, selling gear at 10% of the cost of any of their competitors because they want to have gear in these, these large nations. Oh, trust me. I completely understand. It's pretty much all I think about. So I'm right there with you, <laughs> yeah, but it yeah, did yeah. make me, it did make me happy um, to see that um, they were dwarfed. Well, if you're by, bullish you know, on Facebook, that everyone thinks it's failing. Yeah. Oh, I if think Facebook on... stock's going to go back up, man. I really do. Yeah. I mean, that's not financial I mean, advice. I'm not saying to go buy it, but like, I can tell you right now that you and I both know someone who's invested, you know, pretty seriously in it. And I haven't heard a lot of panic. And honestly, I've seen a lot of people running because they're scared of like what the metaverse might look like. But even with the metaverse spending, I don't expect for Facebook to to like go away anytime soon. Cause that, cause that $5 billion net, that was still growth. I mean, they're still growing, even even yeah. after the expenditures and after the we'll call it the Apple effect. And, you know, that it's going to take a, a much bigger wave for them to just like wither away and die. Um, and I well, think that people the, see one of the things that that's what's happening to them. One of the things I think is interesting with that, though, you know, is when you look at what I think they had set their initial targets for, I think it, it was somewhere in the neighborhood. It looks like uh, 500,000 monthly active users by the end of 2022 was what they had originally set the goal for. They recently changed that figure to 280,000 monthly active users, which, you know, is a pretty significant drop um, in terms of what their, what their, their targets are. 
Um, sure. But doc internal documents show the platform currently has less than 200,000 current monthly active users. And most users generally don't return to the app after the first month, while more than half of the Quest 2 headsets are out of use within six months. Like, and I think that's the thing that that I see as the bigger red flag to it is there's nothing that's that's keeping people utilizing the platform. And I think this is that point, you know, I, I think we've heard, you know, some of the other like big tech companies kind of come out and say, you know, it, it's it's not there yet. Like, you know, to to basically put all your eggs into the VR basket, like like Meta has kind of done, because they haven't really put a big push around what AR looks like yet. But they've really gotten into, you know, the virtual reality side of it. And I think that's the part of it where it continues to fall short. I'm more interested. And I think there's a lot of people, you know, I think you guys are included in that where it's like, I'd love to see what happens if somebody can come to the table with a really solid AR solution that brings, you know, a lot more like, you know, making making our lives better on a daily basis. You know, if it's in a pair of glasses Word. or whatever it might be, like make my life better, you know, show me show me data when I look out the window on, you know, uh, are we at the peak fall foliage yet when I'm looking at the trees, you know, and I'm looking up at the sky, you know, tell me about the weather and what the temperature is and, you know, how much cloud cover there is like that's the stuff where it's like, hey, that actually yeah. would make our lives better and, and really help things where it's like I feel like the VR piece it's really still it's it's targeted toward a specific category of user and it's not necessarily really built for the mainstream and maybe i'm wrong in that but that's yeah. just that's how that's my perception of it dude yes i want to be in the grocery store walking down I mean, just as an example walking down the aisle and whatever glasses i'm wearing can read and see the lowest price per ounce on you know these these you know potato chips or protein bars or whatever it is i'm looking at and instantly just highlight it in my in my eyes, right? Because that's what I want. Uh, or like, you know, I'm I'm out walking at night and I want to get alerts for heat signatures that shouldn't really be like coming out of the woods at me or what you know, like there's, that would there's be a really whole cool. spectrum. Yeah. Well, and there's one that that blew my mind. This is like five or six years ago, man. There's an app. I I need to find it. I think it's like flight radar or something. But you just open up your uh, you give it access to your camera, point it at the sky at any plane flying by and it gives you every bit of data about it. The altitude it's at, the speed, where it uh, originated from, where it's landing, how many people on board, all this stuff, it's it's crazy. And to imagine that just being overlaid, stuff like that being overlaid into your everyday vision, the, the opportunities are boundless. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't even know that I necessarily even want that in my day to day. I see the potential for it. Um, I, I guess I should maybe restate this. If you were to do, if you were extrapolate out, we don't know the numbers, right? We know they're doing 16 billion this year, and they said they're going to significantly increase funding the next year. So it's at least 20 billion. And if you do that over the next decade, you're, you're getting into the 200 plus billion dollar mark of of investment. Yeah. And there's, I was listening to, um, I think it was All In, or maybe it was something else similar. The, it, there was no measurement comparable to that to that level of spend, obviously converted to $2022 in human history that wasn't from NASA. And that NASA one was the entire Apollo project is the only thing that costs the same amount of dollars. Sure. Um, and a lot of stuff came from that. And, and I think part of Facebook's issue is, is they have made a historically large investment. Nothing's ever come remotely close in something that they haven't really shown or explained the investment from. Most people ask, where has the investment gone? And I think that's completely fair for investors to do and to take their money and run with. If their expectation is, is that growth from Facebook will only come from VR. And I just don't think that's the case. I think no, that when you look at Meta, or sorry, yeah, Meta is what I meant to say when I said Facebook. You look at them, your expectation is this is all they talk about. It's all they invest in. But then when you look at their business, some of which they're not even good at, like they they are killing it still. And it's it's remarkable considering the fact that, you know, what, what this is my own personal opinion. I don't know if it's true. If TikTok ends up becoming a real financial threat, to most of the players out there, because already has over a billion users already use that app. 
they're going to start taking ads from a lot of the smaller social media platforms that will ultimately move the the profile of ads between what it is now. There's two players today, really, and, and a few small ankle biters. It's going to be three big players, right? Google, Facebook, and then uh, the TikTok people. That's going to change where you can send ad dollars. And here's here's the real issue. No one has, no one has the ability to show effectiveness of ads like Facebook, even post ATT and privacy measures and all of these other yeah. things. No one has the tooling. It's true. So right. it's still more valuable to go to them. And so that's yeah. the thing that I think that like they, there's still so much opportunity because here's the thing. Here's what, here's one thing we all know. Ads are effective and they're here for the rest of human time period. Sure. They just are. They're never going away. And so, yeah, Facebook will have to reinvent certain parts of that business. They have hugely to be able to do it. And they have a huge incentive to do it. And I think they're going to. So, look, I don't ever use Facebook. We joke a lot about how I look like Mark Zuckerberg and whatever else. It's all well and good. I just, I'm, I'm just trying to take the other side of the argument when I like actually look at their business and realize, yes, I would hate to wake up and be Mark Zuckerberg and run that business every day. That sounds terrible. However, <laughs> at the end of the day, they made $5 billion after all of the BS, all of it in so, order. Wonderful, wonderful data and takes there. Let me take you back to something you said that was concerning to me. You said not, uh, you're not interested in augmented reality. You said some sort of something about that, or you said, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't use it in day-to-day -day use or whatever. And I'm not talking about using it all day, every day, day to day, like it just becoming your filter or the overlay of how you experience life. If you use it for unique purposes, are you interested? Of course. Yeah. For independent okay. purposes, for sure. But yeah. like, I don't give a crap about whatever the autumn something I've never seen autumn in my life. I don't even know what autumn is. So, <laughs> yeah. Not in Texas. <laughs> yeah. We no. don't have fall. It just goes from green no, to brown. That was probably a bad analogy. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, but like, whatever. I have a, a thousand examples. I was just curious what you were going to say. Like, that. Well, the things I'm... that you guys brought up to me sound like the things that we, you know, we get a new app on our phone and it allows us to see the stars, or we get a new VR experience, or we get something else, and it's really, really cool in two situations. First, when you first discover it and you use it for a few days, hours, months, whatever it is, and then you stop, or when you're going to show someone else what's cool about this thing. And we have countless <laughs> examples of, of that in our lives with all sorts of technology. And I think that that's the area where VR is right now. I actually fully expect to be completely honest for the thing that makes this quantum leap, no pun intended, in like personal human experience through technology to be something that we don't know about today that probably will spur from all of the work going into the XR space from Facebook and others, not just yeah, from fair. sorry, Meta and others. That's what I expect to happen because well, that's what happened with the Apollo program. We got all this yeah. other stuff, you know, from that investment. Yeah, and you make a strong point about like being able to tell how many people are on the plane or where it came from above you. Like you really only care about that the first time you see it and when you show it to somebody else. That's that's yeah. funny and true. But I think there's some strong pillars that are going to prop this stuff up that we've already talked about, like gaming. And we've talked about this on the show previously, too, not only just today. But if if I can have a game that I experience in my own home, right, or whatever, or like in a location with other people or something, the, where it's overlaid on top of reality, very cool. Also, fitness. If I'm out running, and again, I kind of referred to it earlier, but if I'm if I'm somebody that's maybe slight of stature and the only time I can go run is after dusk or whatever, and I'm concerned about somebody jumping me or whatever, I would love to have some sort of filter overlaid, you know, say if I get random heat signatures or picking up random stuff, whatever, it just increases my own, you know, personal security and awareness and all that fun stuff. But outside of that, when I'm running, I love to track where I'm at in what heart rate zones, I'd love to be able to just see as I'm looking up and out and not have to look down at my watch or look down at my phone or whatever and be distracted. Layer yeah, that on top. I think, I think that there's certainly an element yeah. of people that want that. I'm actually, the, like, if I think of myself, if I actually go for a run, uh, I actually don't want any of that information because I used to track it. And mm -hmm. then it became a thing that I watched and it yeah. made my runs 
so dramatically harder. Like sure. I want to look up or I want my playlist to end and it'd be like, you just completed 400 miles and it'd be like, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I feel crap. you on that. You know, that, yeah, there's where I, my struggle is with like that type yeah. of data. Not that that negates, like, I think there's a lot of people who would love that data. And I think there's a lot of, you know, individual instances where that probably would be really cool and, and make a lot of sense for people to go. You know, it's funny. I have two smartwatches. I, I don't, I mean, I, I found my lens told me the other day that she didn't start her tracker for her workout at this burn boot camp thing she did for her workout. And she's like, man, I lost all that stuff. And no, I you said, didn't. I, th that's good to know. Cause I was confused. I was like, I don't think that's how it works because yeah. my watch just says like when I get on my rower, which we've talked about, it literally just immediately knows I'm rowing, you know? And it yeah. just says, you've been Apple rowing for that, yeah. five minutes and you need to stop. Cause you're going to die. And, <laughs> but like, if it didn't do that, if it didn't do that automatically, there's no scenario where I'd ever activate it manually. Well, and I was talking about something else like people. And I think I've told this story before too, but I was in a, in an office once and I was, we were going to take the stairs and this lady was like, Oh, I'm not taking the stairs today. Cause I didn't, I didn't put my Fitbit on. Like, what no like you're missing the whole point it's not about getting like hitting these artificial numbers in in that's you funny know, in the cloud or whatever it's that's about whatever i don't want to go off nothing on artificial tangent. about the cloud bro but right. yeah no but when you're training in certain heart rate zones whatever I'm, I'm going down a thing what else we got we should we should probably jump to something else it's like you got anything else you're looking at thinking about no not really at this point okay. i don't i don't well, know then let I me too many other articles that i found let me throw something at you. So, so you mentioned ads a bunch, um, a bunch of people on Twitter talking about how um, companies are are pulling ads or not stop, like not re upping on ad agreements and all that kind of stuff because of all the the tumultuous stuff going on there. Um, a lot yep. could be said about that. But I saw one one thing that kind of made me chuckle here. Uh, somebody said, "Wait till wait till Elon finds out about Apple's thirty percent of that eight dollars he's going to charge everybody." <laughs> He's never I, had to face something you, like this. Did you share that? Because I actually feel like I saw that. And I, and I was in my hotel room and I started laughing. I thought that I probably was... liked it. And so it would be like, hey, you know, five of your friends liked this tweet. You should look at it. But yeah, there was, because yeah, it seems so willy nilly. He was like $20. And then uh, Stephen King was like, no way I'm paying that. He's like, what about yeah. $8? You know? Yeah. And then I think Apple's we had a thread in the TBP in the TBP chat on this. And it was, it, it was one of those things where I think, you know, they're probably going to get creative with it much like, you know, a lot of, a lot of other companies have where it's like, Hey, if, if you do this outside of Apple's app store, you only have to pay $8 where if you do this, you know, within Apple's app store, you're probably going to have to pay like 10 50 or, or something where it basically makes up for the, you know, that 30%. But you know, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing that across the board, you know, companies are trying to find creative ways to get around the 30%. And it's not just with Apple's app store. I know it's, uh, we've seen it with um, uh, the Google Play Store. There were a couple of companies that were doing some similar things where they're just trying to work around that. And they're, it, it's interesting because I think it's setting up for obviously some interesting legal situations because right. you know Apple and and Google and you know even even other stores. You know when you look at it just commercially, you know uh, across the market. Um, you know, whether it's you're putting something on the shelves at Walmart or otherwise, you know, there are contractual agreements that they have to oblige by, you know, if you're paying to play in their sandbox, you need to abide by those rules. And so it's going to set up some interesting fights, I think. But for now, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really kind of interesting to see how Elon reacts to it, because I agree he's not been in this type of situation before. Well, you know, it's been interesting with the app store stuff. Um they, you know, the rules weren't consistent across multiple of them. Like, for instance, until very recently, I've been able to buy Kindle eBooks um, from the Amazon app, you know, on my uh, on my phone, uh, Android phone. And I went to try and do that today, actually, and I couldn't. And that's that's actually not the first time. I just forget about this because I've done it for years. And because I think they, you know, they probably had some agreement in place where they could do that, or maybe they were getting around it. Now, you know, I can't do that. Just like my wife can't do it on her iPhone because it just, it just won't let you in the app. You have to like 
go to the store on the web page to be able to do it because they're trying to skirt around that 30%. Well, in we were talking right. about Facebook and, and earnings. There was a lot of people that were talking about um, Facebook complaining about Apple, and then they just didn't even read the earnings report. It had nothing to do with ad tracking transparency. Literally nothing. They're over that. They're done. They're past that. That's 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 old news. The the fascinating thing was the rules change on payment of ads. So now Apple and maybe Facebook or maybe Facebook, sorry, Google. Um, I don't know. I don't actually know, but maybe Google. Um, that surely that would be anti-competitive if Google did it, but uh, are ta- are trying to take thirty percent of all revenue based on ad generation on the platform now too. And so that was the big complaint of the rules change for that as well. Now, I don't know if they had a special agreement for them before. Um, I I read that some other social media platforms were already paying that. So maybe there was a special agreement for Facebook previously that is not now. Um, But that was the major issue on the revenue side was that it was, it was going to extend. And for now it was only happening in Facebook app proper, I think, or maybe individual apps properly, but it it was, there was concerns. And this was what Zuck said. The biggest concern is that they'll just arbitrarily extend this to their ad app manager, which is like a platform that you use to bid ads across all different areas and then start taking 30% of that across all of their, um, Apple platforms that exposed them. And that was the big issue and concern. And that was the big complaint. It had nothing to do with like mm-hmm. ad tracking transparency and blockers. So that's, I don't know if they're trying to normalize rules for everyone, kind of like the Amazon thing, or maybe they're just trying to clamp down. Maybe it's, I don't know, a growth opportunity and revenue. I don't know what it is, but there's definitely some things going on changing in the app stores, either forced or unforced um forced by the way could be like the pressure is forcing them to not a rule right and when i say that that, that's causing some changes and i gotta tell you i'm super frustrated that i can't buy the book in my app (laughs) i really am even (laughs) though it's easy to like go to and i say that it's not actually that easy because when i go to amazon my browsers are all set up to open any amazon link in the app so I actually installed another browser that I'm not going to use that I have it to where it doesn't go to the app. It doesn't open links inside of their app so that if I ever need to go something, I can go to that app and re-sign into it because I'll have to re-sign in, go through my multi-factor authentication. It is it is a difficult hurdle to kind of get through. It's not, it's not difficult. It's a tedious hurdle to get sure. through. And I fr- I'm frustrated with with that part there. So much so that I would actually be comfortable if they would actually just charge an extra whatever it is, 2 or $3 for a $10 ebook that I would just click it and I'd just buy it that way for the convenience because mm. I'm, I'm frustrated by that. So I wish they would do that, but obviously the, most of the market probably wouldn't. And that's a threat to, um, you know, to Amazon. So I get why they do it, but it frustrates me. Well, give me your quick reaction then after Elon fires half the Twitter workforce and reduces their infrastructure costs by a billion dollars <clears throat> a year. Didn't he, didn't he say you, that he's, they need to find the, yeah. The billion. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, they'll find it and then he'll reduce it. I'm just, I'm kind of jumping to conclusions here. But yeah, but let's, okay. So this is a part that should, well, so first of all, I feel terrible for employees losing their oh, jobs. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Candidly, we knew that was probably a big part of it. That was, there's a lot of people in Silicon Valley that think that most of these companies are over leveraged on the employee cost, but I don't like people losing their jobs. I feel terrible for them. Um, I, we have some spots open, yeah. I think. Um, so please look at SHI. But the um, the, well, let the me finish, more personal let me finish the part, question though. Yeah, the, okay. I mean, I, I think we're all we're all there on that. I think, but to to see what he's doing so drastically, and then to understand all the nuances of everything you just described in dealing with these other with ads with these other applications with these other interfaces and everything like does twitter have a hope you know at all to understand and navigate these waters or are they just going to get like waylaid by apple as an example uh well hold, let me so good addition to the question let me let me give you the the infrastructure portion here i know that the okay. goal 
is to eventually squeeze out between like one and three uh, or what one billion dollars annually, one point five to three million dollars per day on the infrastructure side of things. That's that he's telling to find it. I can guarantee you, if they physically cannot do it for reasons that are critical to the business, they won't. So if they can't squeeze the billion, it yeah. won't happen. However, to answer your follow-on question is an interesting one because I actually think that a lot of the criticism of things he's doing is looking at Twitter as it stands today as something that is financially solvent and functional, of which I don't think it is. So I believe he is tearing it down in order to build it up and address these problems. So that's what I think Fair. is it's happening right now. That's my that's my opinion, anyways. So is that what you think on that? Are. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, I think I think either way, you know, depending on what the lens is on it. I mean, they face significant uphill battles with just, I think, getting advertising revenue. And I think a lot of that, unfortunately, comes with, you know, Musk now owning the company, yeah. um, you know, and and he's he's obviously put some claims out there even today, you know, just around how much revenue they've lost since he's taken over. Um, and, and I think he he made some accusations, you know. What's that? I didn't see that. Where, he said, what are the numbers? numbers? I'm just curious. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't get specific on the numbers. He just said that they've they suffered significant, you know, decrease in advertising revenue, um, oh, okay. you know, just in the course of the last couple of weeks. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the headline here, Wall Street Journal: Elon Musk says Twitter has had a quote massive revenue drop due to activist groups pressuring advertisers, despite doing quote everything to quote appease the activists. So you get this kind of knee jerk reaction feel where it's like, okay, this is absolute chaos. Elon isn't communicating with anybody within the company. They're literally going to Twitter, tracking his tweets to figure out what's happening. Uh, the news breaking the fact that everyone's getting laid off was the only communication they got. There was nothing from Elon internally saying that, right? Um, so advertisers pulling out of <laughs> agreements and and deals and whatnot just because of the absolute chaos there. Um, did you also see, too, before we shut this down, Apple is now worth more than Google, Facebook, and Amazon combined. Wow. Bonkers to think about. It? Now, it's funny that they um, throw Facebook in there, I thought. What's that right? number? I, I was actually. thinking the same thing. Like, yeah, It's easy like, to Facebook say that. It's easy to say that when value. Facebook's... Yeah. Facebook's value has crashed over the course of the last few months. Exactly. But yeah. Yeah. I, I did see that as well. Um, you know, and, and certainly I think, you know, it's, again, it's easy to make those claims now. Um, but it is staggering and I think it continue, it will continue to put pressure on Apple, um, especially with, you know, the cut that they're getting on the services revenue, whether it be from, uh, advertising or the app store or otherwise, uh, you'd have to think that it's going to come to a head here shortly. Um, you know, certainly within the next probably six to twelve months, um, yeah. because you know they are making they're raking in cash right now. Like they basically have their own money printer um, that's that's happening. You know, from a services perspective, and uh, and maybe it's it actually is probably even fair to say that it's across their entire business. Um, but you know, I, I'll be interested to see you know with the macroeconomic pressures that we're seeing across the board what type of impact it also has on Apple's business over the course of, you know, even the mm -hmm. next two or three quarters. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a good look, you know, when everybody else is starting to struggle and Apple continues to just continue to rake in money, very similar to what we see with the yeah. oil company. It's like, it's like, Oh, you're, you're almost in that category. That's, that's not a great look. And they've been raising prices. We talked about that. I think last week of uh, like the Apple plus stuff, yep. stuff like that. Yep. Apple so, one. Yeah. Yeah, Apple One. There you go. So, but they have, I mean, they're they're clamping down a little bit too. Um, you know, we saw yesterday in Bloomberg, uh, Apple paused hiring in October for many jobs outside of R&D, including some corporate functions and standard hardware and software engineering roles. So R&D seems to be king these days, <laughs> or it should kind of always be, but people, a lot of I'm people are leaning into it, arms race. Trying to figure out what this calculation looks like. Um, apparently, I did not enter a valid number, so that's unfortunate. Um, I was looking at Microsoft's market cap in 1999. If I'm not mistaken, that's when they got in trouble with IE. Maybe it was 898, but it was a little over $600 billion. I'm trying. Looks like it's that would have made 
see, $1.99 was $1.78 today. So it, it wouldn't put them anywhere near it. Because um, what are we talking? $3 trillion? $3.5? For what? For, for Apple? For Apple? Uh, they're only they're over, uh, only just over $2 trillion. I say only, but... Oh, so it would have been right now. it would have been yep. close then it would have put them it well i say that it may be a little little below or above the half mark so like maybe one and a half to one point yeah. 1.2 somewhere in that trillion range that microsoft was when they got in trouble the thing that always fascinates me about all of these major major companies that favor their own stuff which is all of them you know um, I think Apple gets the most press about it because control is like their thing, but they're not the only one who does it. And that is the whole Microsoft Netscape thing and and how they the, – the biggest issue that I see when people talk about the influence of these companies is the the notion that they're not a monopoly because there's Google. And people don't realize that for legislature to go against you related to monopoly law – you have to have monopoly power, not an actual monopoly on a market. And they're not the same thing. And so what I'm interested to see is, is at what point in time the treatment of the government to Microsoft happens to Apple and Google and yeah. well, probably just primarily Apple and Google, um, maybe yeah. to Microsoft. I still think Microsoft is guilty of a lot of this right now too. We talked about their bundling. Um, but the, you know, the whole like favoritism of your own things over like killing Netscape was because they just offered IE for free. And, and where were the people screaming back then? Well, it's their own right. platform. They can do whatever they want. Like that's well, like what that was I early hear days. all the nobody time understood. today. Yeah, so, but that's my, that's my thing is like, we have precedence for this and I'm surprised it actually hasn't happened already. But I think based off like what Zook said, there's so much outside pressure right now something is going to happen and i think that that case is going to be the precedence they're going to look back on yeah whenever and they, to your yeah, other I thing too about buying books you got spotify uh and apple are now fighting over the fact that spotify and i saw this just the other day i didn't try to buy any books audiobooks um in the app but apparently apple is blocking that feature uh inside spotify uh, the effect is clear to let's see. The effect is clear. You to mean buying audio book books. buyers? Yeah, audiobooks. The effect yeah. is clear to would-be book buyers. iOS users who scroll through Spotify's audiobooks library and tap on a selection are greeted with a message: "Want to listen? You can't buy audiobooks in the app. We know it's not ideal." Yeah, like that's, and that's, and you can't like thirty um, percent. There's there's some apps can give a link to go directly to and buy, and some can't. I because I saw the article on Spotify. Yeah. Um, now this is because Spotify is an issue with the links too. Yeah. Now this is it's not because Apple is just to be clear. Apple is not preventing them from selling audiobooks inside the app. It's because Spotify refuses to pay the thirty percent cut of an audiobook sale to Apple inside the app. Right. Hundred so percent. It's, it's, it's in the news every every week. They just because they they just it. don't want to be at a disadvantage to someone buying an audiobook on. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. I'm assuming Apple Music. Um, I don't. Can you buy audiobooks yeah. on Apple Music? Uh, uh, there's a separate book. Yeah. It's it's the iBooks app, and yeah. you buy you buy all your audiobooks there. Yeah, there you go. Um, that one. Um, I don't even buy audiobooks on Spotify. I didn't know that was a thing. That's new to me. Other than you know. Yeah, it's a new feature the they just story. added. Yeah, we always use Audible or actually our local library. I don't know how many people know this. Um, your local library likely has an app uh, customized for them from, sorry, my wife put it on my phone. I'm trying to find it here. I think it's called Hoopla. I think, yeah, I think the app you're actually referring yeah. to potentially Hoopla. works with like every library in the world. There's like a standard yeah. that, that libraries use for you to be able to use for like libraries anywhere. Oh, okay. Because this this opens, yeah. but it references my local library. And then they have yeah. a number of digital copies that you can check out. So check it out, H-O-O-P-L-A, uh, exactly. and you can check out audiobooks for free from your local library. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, let's let's shut this sucker down. Yeah, we're definitely going to shut this sucker down. It was good. I enjoyed it. Um, I came in um, very tired, but good, good discussion. Uh, we made it through. Uh, it has been a week, you know, going around. It's real stormy over here. That's why I lost my internet earlier. So hopefully everyone in DFW area stays safe. 
but that's going to do it for another episode of the Tech Breakfast Podcast. Uh, Tyler was not with us again, but he is still alive. I'm going to keep reminding you guys of this um, just to make, just in case people are getting nervous. Uh, share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it all around. Please give us feedback or even better, join the TBP community and Telegram at Wearbuling. T.me slash Tech Breakfast. That's right. And come join the show. Uh, but until next time, we'll talk to you later. Peace. See you. Thanks for coming on, Zach. You bet. Later.